This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sands, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Wee Boon. Since 2020, the US Federal Reserve have been raising the federal funds rate to 47 to 5% in an attempt to tame the rampant inflation that has reached 40-year highs. As a result, central banks all around the world followed suit and raised their interest rates as well, putting an end to what many call the era of ultra-low rates. In Malaysia, Bank Negara has been raising its overnight policy rate, or OPR, to 2.75% from 1.75% in 2020. Though it seems to have pressed the pause button on more hikes for now, some economies are expecting more hikes, depending on the economic numbers that we get. So the question we're asking today is why are governments doing this and how does it impact your money? Where are the investment opportunities here? Joining me to discuss this is Chong Jin Yong, President of the CFA Society of Malaysia and Managing Director of August Learning, a training company that focuses on education and consulting for the banking and financial industries. Now, before we begin, I'd just like to remind everyone that this is not investment advice and it's purely for educational purposes. Remember, with all possible investments, you have to do your own homework into the asset, keeping your risk profile and financial goals in mind. Okay, Junior, let's begin. Let's start off with some context on the rising interest rates. Can you briefly explain to our listeners why have interest rates been rising? Let me start by just saying everything has a price. My shirt costs 80 ringgit. Uh, this phone of mine, 3,000 ringgit. And the price only makes sense when the item being priced is of limited supply. And more importantly, it has utility. Uh, even I myself have a surprise. I am, after all, exchanging my time on Earth, which is definitely of limited supply, unless I get bitten by a vampire. Like. <laughs> that's the unpredictability. Oh, the yes, yeah, volatility. That's, that's volatility. <laughs> that's volatility. <laughs> so then, what is interest rate then? Well, interest rate is essentially the price of money. And the price of money is only relevant uh, or a useful measure of the utility of money if it is of limited supply. Uh, but we all know that isn't the case with quantitative easing or more colloquially known as money printing. So um, why were interest rates so low? And I would add so low for such a long period of time. I think the short answer is because the central banks, the regulators say so, be it the Fed, ECB or uh, Bank Negara even. Because the law in each of the countries gives this entity the ability to do so. So in response to the pandemic, or perhaps we can even take uh, go further back in time, all the way back to the last global financial crisis, regulators around the world cut interest rates to zero, essentially making money free. This was the 2008 yes, global financial 2008, crisis, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of been that long. Mm. Although in the interim, of course, they have started to hike rates. Yeah. And yeah. then along came COVID yeah. and we all know what happened. So they cut rates all the way down to zero. And when that wasn't enough, when they made money already free, essentially, they decided to print even more. They just wanted more liquidity uh, in the money supply. And by doing that, they made the value of money cheap. Just too much money to go around. Mm-hmm. People can borrow more money because it's cheaper to borrow money, right? Yes. 
Yeah, precisely. Yeah, thereby putting money into the system, putting money into the economy, and you know addressing all the issues w- that would follow. And when that wasn't enough, they uh, printed more money, which is known as quantitative easing, right? Yes. So that's right. why has this flipped? Why has COVID nineteen changed uh, this? Okay, I think it's important to know that why um, there's a need to print money, so to speak. Mm. Yes, it puts money in people's pocket and then people have the ability to spend and spending generates demand and hence then the economy gets going. So that works to a certain extent. Uh, I may not entirely agree with the action there. But when it comes to the pandemic... consensus view. (laughs) Yes, the consensus view. Yes. But when it comes to the pandemic, yeah, the problem is uh, economics is all about supply and demand, right? So what the central banks were doing is that they were trying to stimulate the demand. Give people money, they'll spend. Hmm. The problem with the pandemic, I think we all know, is that we're all locked down. So we can't spend. That's one. The other bigger problem, which we are still seeing the repercussions now, is that in order for people to spend, they have to have something to buy. So there needs to be supply. And this is where the problem arises, whereby the supply just isn't there because people can't even go out to work. They can't produce. So you can print all the money that you want, but that money has to go somewhere. Right? If people can't spend it, then so what if there's demand, but there's no supply? Mm. So I think that brings us to the inflation problem that we're hearing left, right, center now right? because the supply just wasn't there. Okay. So essentially because of this situation, they have to flip it in reverse, right? And now they are looking to, they are raising rates, uh, have then, well, I mean, not sure if they've stopped printing money, but they're <laughs> definitely raising rates uh, in order to tame inflation, right? But, um, I mean, is it working? Are we, I mean, I mean, how long do you expect this policy to continue? How high can the rates go, right? I mean, when, are we, when, when will the terminal Fed fund rate be in sight? Okay, uh, I think the peak or the terminal rate for the Fed fund, if you look at the dot plot, I, if I recall, it's somewhere around 5.1 or so, right? So that's where they expect rates to peak. But I think now the bigger challenge for the Fed especially is that uh, they have to balance between, I mean, what is their priority? Uh, Do they want to fight inflation? Or are they worried about, again, uh, demand dropping because we're starting to see some problems cropping up, some cracks. And uh, believe me, some of these cracks are quite big, Mm -hmm. as we saw with the bank's failure there. So uh, it's a tight rope that they're walking on. Um, from what I can see, they probably have just one more hike. And I think that's the consensus view. And in fact, I think they might even just stop hiking as it is now. Uh, I don't think they can afford to hike further unless they don't mind really crashing huge parts of the economy. Um, Having said that, um, that's the thing about markets versus the economy. When I say markets, we're talking about financial markets, yeah. right? The markets isn't the economy and it's very important to distinguish that. The markets, it's a reflection or it's an indicator of the economy, right? Sometimes they are very good indicators. Sometimes they are quite far off. And what changes in interest rates will do is actually change the prices that you see in the market, mm. right? So 
I think what has the regulators done or the Fed have done in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, is trying to keep the market up. And whenever you see the market is going to going down, well, that's why we have this ultra-low interest rate policy. Uh, it has been trying to support the market, which I think, I go back to the point of the, the market is not the economy, right? Yes, the market is supposed to reflect the economy. So in the current situation we're in, right, do you think the market right now is reflecting the state of the economy or is it very, is it walking on two different roads? I think in some parts of the market, uh, be- because we have been in a low interest rate environment for so long, there are still parts of it that w- I would say is overvalued. Mm. Uh, I-, I think we, those days of seeing the next WeWork or Uber is gone because those were possible thanks to the essentially free money that's just been sloshing around the system uh, in those years. And we'll be taking a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Cents, brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Welcome back. You're tuned into Ringgit and Cents, and I'm Sim Wee Boon. Today's topic is how you can make money in a rising interest rate environment. Joining me to discuss this is Chong Jin Yong. He's the president of the CFA Society of Malaysia and managing director of August Learning, a training company that focuses on education and consulting for the banking and financial services industry. Jin Yong, how can we make money here? Is something like a money markets funds a consideration? What? To be honest, personally, I'm I'm not uh, put my own money in those areas. How I now view money is that uh, as interest rates go up, the cost, the price of money has gone up. So if you have cash, then, well, you call the shots because now you can choose the investments that give you a higher return. Because uh, the thing about a low interest rate environment, what it does is that it causes the value of investments to go up because it's just time value of money. Hmm. The lower the interest rates, the uh, price of whether it's a shares or it's bonds, right, will just go up. It's just time value of money. Hmm. So now that we have flipped that, what happens now is that uh, if you have saved your gunpowder for now, now would be a good time to start slowly hunt for... And when I say hunt for investments, I'm not looking at investments from a purely capital gains point of view. Instead, I'm looking from a income point of view. Okay. Because as interest rates go up, the income that you can demand, the periodic income, will go up. I mean, that's the same with the bonds, like, essentially. Let's say if you're going to go stock-specific, right? You're not looking at growth stocks. You're looking at maybe like dividend-yielding stocks, where yeah. it, there is a recurring income, right? Because it's more... It's a better idea to have something that will continuously give you pretty simple cash yes. at a longer period of time since cash is more value rather than expecting it to kind of like grow in value in say about a year two years time right because um, cash right now is king mm-hmm. mm. yep I mean it, even if you talk to the retirees they're now back to the days whereby they go to the bank and they can see ha ah, this bank offers what FD rate that uh, what FD rate it now makes sense for them to shop again mm. uh, in the past it I mean, if it's just 0.05%, five basis points, what's the point? Yeah. How do you then make more, the most out of your fixed deposits at this moment, right? Do you shop around? I mean, where are the opportunities in this space then? Personally, what I have been also doing is that 
you see, that's the thing. Because I teach, uh, I need to know a lot of other asset classes, mm-hmm. uh, alternatives. So I tend to put money in areas where I don't want to learn about. So one of the areas where I've uh, kind of gotten into in the last couple of years is in private equity. Ah, okay. So this could be through the uh, ECF space. Or, and I've noticed a more and more proliferation of businesses actually going direct to their customers to say, hey, do you want to buy uh, some shares? In Why don't you? You're already a customer. Why not you also join in my, my enterprise? Right? So this goes back to the question of liquidity, which I mentioned earlier. So uh, liquidity has a premium. Now, if you're used to oh, going to the share market, say, okay, today I buy, tomorrow I can sell. So this is a different thing altogether. You have to be prepared to not have liquidity. But by having uh, that in mind, you can then gen- uh, demand a higher in return. A higher return in the sense of... So a, lo- a lot of this private equity, they, they typically issue preference shares. Mm-hmm. They'll give you a fixed uh, dividend rate. So 6% is quite common. Yeah. So 6% is quite common. So if you have spare cash uh, that you don't need to use at the moment notice, then this could be one area for you to explore. Mm. Of course, having said that, I'm not saying that put everything in there because... Diversify. Yes, diversify for sure. But that's one area you can definitely look into and there are a lot more uh, opportunities to go into that right now compared to in the past. How do you kind of like approach the equity market now given this uh, rising interest rate environment? For one, because I used to work in a bank, I think uh, in the rising interest rate environment, the uh, banks uh, have a chance to earn more simply because uh, it gives them more room to play with in terms of their net interest margins. As opposed to in the past when everything is close to zero, there's not much they can leverage on between the deposits versus their, their lending. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's one area to consider. But of course, again, you have to look at specific banks. And um, I, I believe, I think, Bank and Guy just uh, released their report. I know, think, I know uh, report, ago. yeah. So of course, they highlighted how different we are from what we are seeing, which is pretty true. Uh, during good times, we always tend to say that our regulators is too strict, <laughs> right? But now when there's trouble at, uh, on the horizon, uh, we come to see that, hey, uh, there is actually a reason why they are so conservative. Mm, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. is to keep uh, keep all this volatility at, yeah. volatility at bay. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that they do have is the capital, which again is liquidity. Uh, they have the ability to withstand any significant drawdowns or withdrawals uh, from the system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, since we're in this uh, side of the conversation, right, you know, recently there was this Credit Suisse drama. Yeah. And I think a big part of it was, and it, you talk about investors and those that were looking to make money in this opportunity, right? Um, 81 bonds, right? Yep. The, the impact it has had on this uh, 81 bonds, right? But on a general basis, right, are bonds a safe bet in this rising rate environment, right? And has this 81 debacle influenced how people generally look at bonds? Or is it a completely different discussion to be had? Um, I think a bit of both. So it's important to note that uh, AT1, uh, it also goes by the name of uh, contingent convertibles mm. or COCOs bonds. Yes, COCOs, so, yes. yes. So the thing is, when you talk about bonds, I will, again, in my classes, I'll ask, which is riskier, bonds or shares mm. in general? So, I wonder what the answer. Uh, 
So most will say uh, shares, which is the correct answer, but for the wrong reason. Okay. So they say, oh, because uh, shares is very volatile. So I say, it's true, but do you know that bond prices can be very volatile as well, depending on the period of time? So the real reason why shares is more risky is because, hey, you rank last in a liquidation scenario. When a company goes bankrupt, gets who gets the money last? Yeah. If there's any left for that matter, <laughs> right? So bonds are ranked higher uh, in the scheme of things in the, uh, when a company is liquidated. So this is very clear. That's how the a company's capital structure uh, is set up such that if the company goes bust, you liquidate, you pay bondholders first, then only shareholders. 81 is slightly different or what they call contingent convertible. So what does it mean by contingent convertible? So the convertible bond range just means that the bonds can be converted into shares. What is the appeal? The appeal is with a bond, with a plain vanilla bond, what's the best thing that can happen? Oh, the company pays you back. Yep. You get back your principal amount. Mm -hmm. So even if the company makes money, has huge sales, record amount of profits, so what? All you get is the principal amount of the bond when it matures. Now, what if you're a shareholder? Unlimited upside. I think we all know that. So what convertible bonds actually do is that bridge the gap and say, hey, you kind of have the best of both worlds. You're a bondholder, so you're ranked higher, you're a creditor. But if it makes sense, you can convert into shares and participate in the upside. So that's all well and good now. Contingent convertibles, the Word contingent just actually means that it gets converted into shares when something happens. Now, what is that something? It is when something bad happens, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unfortunately. Then I say, if it's something bad, why would I want to convert into shares? I'll be ranked lower. But that's the nature of that product. And because of that, obviously, it has to give higher returns. Yeah. Right? So, uh, banks are typical issuers of contingent convertible or AT1. Uh, it's a mechanism for them to actually increase their capital. Because, oh, I'm in trouble. So, bondholders, you are now no longer bondholders, you are now shareholders. The Credit Suisse 81 issue was that they took it one step further. Not only were they uh, no longer creditors, but straight away they were wiped out. Yeah, down to zero. Down to zero. So, they, they were ranked even below the equity holders. Uh of course, I didn't look into the details of that, but apparently there were certain clauses in those 81 bonds that allowed that to be happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but this is not true to all bonds. Its returns are now back in the spotlight given the current environment that we're in, right? Okay, th then there's two perspectives to look at. In a rising interest rate environment, bond prices will fall. The thing is, if you're already holding bonds, you're already invested in it, then you will see the value, the market value of your bonds drop. But that shouldn't be an issue if you're not there to trade, you're not there to buy and sell. It's not like shares. Mm. If you, the reason you bought the bond in the first place is that, hey, I like the yield, this is giving me 5%, right? What is that 5%? That 5% is the return that you get on the bond if you hold it to maturity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, in the interim, interest rates go up, the market price of the bonds drops, and if you see the portfolio value, oh, it's dropped. But if that wasn't your intention in the first place, that's all well and good. 
On the other hand, as interest rates rise, right, the yield demanded on bonds also goes up. So now if you have additional cash to deploy, that is one area that you can look at because now you can get increasing returns. But mm. still, you have to be prepared that after you, bought, you have uh, invested in it, the price can go down further because yields continue to creep up. With all of this considered, right, does this change your hurdle rate in terms of your where your minimal rate of return now is increased because of the higher interest rates? I think um, if you to ask me, does it change my own hurdle rate? No. Because, um, well, the hurdle rate is there because it's the return that I need in order to meet my own financial goals, right? So, uh, that hasn't changed my hurdle rate. But I I think it's not the rise in interest rates that uh, changes the hurdle rate. It's in, instead, it will be inflation. Mm. Because essentially, inflation is just eroding your purchasing power. So, you thought that uh, 1 million at... Uh, retirement is enough. So you now you're saying because of inflation, that's not enough. Then yes, that perhaps that changes uh, your hurdle rate. So I I wouldn't say it's the interest rates, but instead it is the inflation that uh, would change your required return. A lot of people tend to think of inflation as price of goods going up. Yes, yes. price of goods going up. Yes. Actually, it's not price of goods going up. It's just the price of value of money going down. So you might argue it's the same thing, but no, it's actually different. Uh, why is money's value going down? Because there's just too much going around. At the end of the day, is, does it just make sense to just save money, just to keep cash on hand? Uh, so you're saying, should you just save money just and put save everything money. in a bank? Yeah, put everything um, in a bank. Short answer is no. <laughs> okay, so this, this may sound strange coming from someone with my background. Uh, the whole YOLO concept, actually appeals to me more than I would have imagined, say, five years ago. I used to think that the whole YOLO thing is very irresponsible, even hedonistic. Well, now, what I truly mean is that uh, you shouldn't save just for the sake of saving. Now, savings definitely is essential um, for emergencies uh, as a buffer uh, for your access to liquidity. Again, the, con- the liquidity, right? Now, if you already have that savings in place, that buffer in place, then your hardened money is better off in other places, definitely in other places, uh, including spending on things that matter to you, right? Perhaps it's because I just read this uh, this book, Dive with Zero, uh, Bill Perkins. Okay. So I find it a very interesting concept. I'm still st- struggling to get around the idea of uh, don't leave anything behind spend, uh, optimally spend all until you, you so, reach the wait, last the book, day. So the book basically tells you to not leave any money, don't, in, don't leave any inheritance. Oh, no. Leave any, once you have left inheritance, then the money is, is not yours, it's your kid. Uh, but the idea is that you want to uh, live the most optimum life. You should not have any money when on the last day. Well, of course, you can't time it perfectly. Okay. Right? But I find it very interesting. And that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Chon Jing Yong. He's the president of the CFA Society of Malaysia and managing director of August Learning, a training company that focuses on education and consulting for banking and financial services. Again, I'd just like to remind everyone that this is not investment advice and is purely for educational purposes. Remember, with all possible investments, you have to do your own homework into the asset, keeping your risk profile and financial goals in mind. 
So join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Boon from The Morning Run at BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.